What's up, Tweet People? We just want to give you guys an update on our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Forging Fury, baby. Yes, what you can do, hop on there, sign up for our sticker gang. It's going to give you a picture of our faces that is scary, but it looks really cool on a water bottle or a computer. It's the bobblehead sticker that everybody wants. So, but we do want to give a shout out to our founding patrons. Yes. We've got Lisa Brockman, Lily Rodriguez. We have the Stahl family, Mike, Kristen, Easton, Knox, Nash, and baby Quinn. And your mom. Yeah, my mom is a patron. That's how much my mom loves me guys go on over to patreon.com slash forging fury and help our podcast man we're trying to get into the video podcasting game help us out let's go that's right in the episode you're about to hear is a good example of why we're doing this to oh get yeah some support hell yeah love you guys mean it hey riley we have a lot of friends that like to party don't oh we, we do especially at our gym that's right sometimes they party a little too hard but they've got to get up the next morning and get their butts in the box they don't have a choice man you got to pay the man what do you do if you drink too much and you got to work out the next day well, you take this thing called the regimen, hangover prevention. You're getting wild. You're out with your girls. You're out with your boys. You have a couple drinks. A couple drinks lead to a couple more. If you just make sure that you drink this before you go to bed, you wake up feeling like a million dollars so you can get back in the gym as soon as you want. You're not in bed, throwing up, doing that you know crazy drunk person thing, feeling like shit. Yeah, you're in your booty shorts doing a clean and jerk PR, baby. Exactly. You're in the gym getting after it, all right? So if you go on Amazon.com, search for The Regimen Hangover Prevention, we are going to give you 15% off your purchase just by entering Forging 15. Forging 15. Forging 15. Forging 15. Forging 15. (laughs) At checkout. Don't ever say we didn't do anything for you. Yeah, we love you guys trying to keep you feeling great. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You seem like the relationship type guy. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. To the Forging Fury. Forging, Forging Fury podcast. I kind of just want to hug you a little bit. Hey, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it. What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley and on today's episode of the Forging Fury podcast, along the executive producer of this podcast, Michael Gray. We have our first return guest of all time, Jordan Linder. All right. The doctor's in the house. That's right. He's in the house again. We are going to be chatting and kind of discussing all things coronavirus. It's kind of literally swept the nation, swept the world, actually. And we are just going to kind of break it down. We got the doctor in the house, so we got some real facts coming your way. I'm excited about this. That's right. It's the hot topic right now, and people are concerned and dr leonard knows a lot of things about a lot of things so we're gonna pick his brain a little bit yeah it only took a global pandemic to get me back that's right <laughs> when we are scared we went to jordan leonard like you know we, we we really went out to all of our uh resources when it comes to smart people that's right and uh we're recording here from the azopt studios thanks again to azopt for letting us in here if you have any needs for uh physical therapy these guys are CrossFitters first, and they uh, they know what you're looking for. Ryan's about to uh, start his uh, qualifier for the CrossFit Games next Thursday, so shout out to that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. I'm so excited for him. I think he has a legit shot. I want I want him to keep his nickname that I gave him, Motor. The Motor. I want whenever he's on TV for someone to call him Motor. If he goes to Wisconsin, I'm going. Are you? Yeah. I'll business ex- business expense for the podcast. Let's do it. We'll bring Dr. Leonard to <laughs> We should yeah. say if he makes it that he has to get a tattoo that says motor. Oh, oh yeah, baby. Ryan listens, so he'll he'll definitely get some feedback on I love that. It. So where do we even start with this topic? Like obviously we've seen kind of the spread from China. Wuhan is kind of the epicenter, the the root source, and it's kind of spread its way across Europe and now 
finally into the United States? Where do we start? Yeah, boy, I don't know. It's, I mean, it, there's, and the scary thing is there's more to come. And I, and I don't mean that scary in terms of, I think it's going to get worse. I just think, you know, up until this point, there hasn't been a lot that we've known because, you know, we're just kind of trying to figure some of this information out. So, you know, to, to, to put it in perspective, I mean, you know, this, this virus was really only identified at the end of last year. So we're talking about something that has been known about for three months, maybe. And in that time, we've sequenced his genome, did, you know, studies about populations that have been affected, had quarantines, saw the spread of it and stuff. So, I mean, you know, th- these are things that people do, you know, thesis work on that takes years and stuff. So the fact that we have as much information as we do um, to this point, I think really speaks a lot to the cooperation that we've seen amongst um, many countries. I mean, places like Iran and South Korea and, and uh, China that um, sometimes aren't the most open um, to sharing information, either from a business or science perspective. Um, you know, we, we've been able to, to use their um, resources and the fact that they've been affected to be able to learn more about it as it's, as it's made its way, um, you know, to our shores. Now, coronavirus itself is not a new thing. This is a strain of something that's been around for a while, right? Yeah, and it's kind of, so, you know, the actual name of the virus, it's, it's sars um, COVID-19 is the name of the virus. COVID um, or coronavirus-19 infection is like the name of the uh, disease that you get. So, you know, when you're talking about, when they talk about isolating the virus, it's actually the SARS virus that they're, that they're isolating. But the infection is what they, it's what they call the COVID-19 because it was, uh, you know, first came out in 2019. But yeah, it's original the, name. Original name. <laughs> yeah, original and, you know, when we had us, you know, there's these coronaviruses, there's, you know, we've had coronaviruses around forever. There's about, I think, seven different coronaviruses. And, and for the most part, there's only a couple that really cause severe infection. So a vast majority of these coronaviruses are the things that give you colds and runny nose and, you know, are an inconvenience, but don't put you in the hospital. Um, but there's a couple of these coronaviruses, the SARS virus, and there was another one that was kind of discovered, I think, uh, in the early 2000s called uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, um, MERS, um, that have, um, you know, more uh, complications related to it, more fatalities. And so that's kind of why they've been um, kind of isolated and studied in more detail. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on for sure was that I've been through a lot of, I feel like a lot of these pandemics that have come through and it's supposed to be the next big thing. It should be a big concern. I lived through Y2K, man. Like that was the, that was <laughs> yeah. the biggest thing that I remember thinking yeah. the, the world's going to end and it didn't even remotely end. Like yeah. the lights didn't even flicker once. Now some of that has to do I'm sure with being prepared, which is I'm all for preparedness, but I just want to know the level of what's reasonable concern and what's over overly panicked right now cuz generally I feel like these kind of come and go like they're a big deal when they're here, but then they end up not being a big deal later. Yeah. So that's my question for you yeah and i think you know the the y2k example is probably a good one and it's you know probably not relatable to, to half of the people that listen to podcasts or the mayan that, calendar but, i remember when that one said the mayan calendar was going to end right but you know for y2k we didn't really know what to expect and so you know people there were these wide ranges of of predictions and that you know i remember hearing planes are going to fall out of the sky <laughs> you know the infrastructure is just going to completely shut down um you know i was in my training at that point and i remember working that night and you had they would give you walkie talkies and flashlights because they were like, you could be in the middle of your shift and everything will just shut down. We don't know. And, and like you said, nothing happened. so silly. But, but people didn't know. People didn't know, you know, gosh, what kind of, you know, things like your calculator, your watches. <laughs> I mean, that, that back then we had 
phones, but they were pretty primitive in terms of uh, mobile electronics and stuff. But, you know, hospital machines, how much of that stuff has some coding in there somewhere that has something to do with the date that's just going to completely shut down? And, and no one really knew that information. And so everyone wanted to be prepared, you know, for absolutely the worst case scenario. And so a lot of time and effort went into that. And it turned out that there really wasn't much. And, and I think the same thing is is for some of these infections. I mean, you know, this, you know, this infection, we'll talk about it, you know, probably at some point, but, you know, this infection isn't even as, as fatal as some of these other viruses that have come out. Like we talked about the MERS one has about, you know, a 30% fatality rate. Wow. Uh, the original SARS had a 10% fatality rate, but, you know, it was new and it was discovered. And so when people start knocking off, all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, if this really takes off, we're in trouble and stuff. And so, um, for, for these diseases, when they come out and they're new, they're saying, you know, that's why when you hear the, um, some of the reports, they talk about being a novel virus. That just means it's brand new. It's, it's been transmitted to humans for the first time. Um, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what that transmission rate is going to be, what the treatment rate is going to be, who's going to get sick, how sick are they going to get? And so, you know, people start to get worried. And then when you have some, you know, isolated cases and it's, you know, it's like when I, you know, when we talk to patients about, um, you know, illnesses and stuff like that, a lot of times we'll try to shy them away from media, internet and stuff like that. Cause I tell, I tell families, listen, there's two kinds of stories on the internet. There's really good stories or really bad stories. Right. The kind of everyday story, normal story people don't write about. Our so, stories are good though. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to, you go online and research stuff and you either find these pie in the sky things that you want to latch onto, or you find this horrible worst case scenario and you're just scared to death. And the truth is it's probably somewhere in between, but no one talks about that. And it's probably the same thing with these, you know, infections you hear about, oh my gosh, it wiped out this whole city or all these people got sick or then you hear, oh, well, this person got it and they never even had symptoms. Well, do you think that having like from the USA, being from a distance and seeing China and seeing what's going on over there and maybe Europe and if that gives us an advantage to combat it here? No, absolutely. I mean, I think it gave us some time to, to try to contain it. So, you know, when you have um, new infections or you have infectious disease like this, you know, there's there's kind of two different stages so that, you know, that first stage is containment. So that's when you're trying to put people in quarantine. You're trying to, you know, close borders or isolate travel to certain places and stuff like that. Once it gets inside your border and there's evidence of community spread, which is what they're starting to show where people are getting the disease and they weren't exposed to anyone that traveled. They didn't travel outside the United States. So basically that means this virus is in your community. It's being spread from person to person. At that point, you know, closing down your borders probably doesn't help as much because it's already here. But we probably had a couple of month window to try to prepare, to try to find more information because we were, you know, suspending flights to China. We were, you know, quarantining people that came in from certain regions in China and stuff like that. And so it, it did give us that that time to prepare. It also gave us, you know, the opportunity. We have information on you know, the first 80,000 people that were infected in China. So we, you know, you get to go back and look and say, okay, well, here's 80,000 cases. What do we know about those cases in terms of who it affects, who gets the most sick, what kind of treatments might work and stuff like that. So that then hopefully by the time it gets here and we start seeing, um, you know, more of the actual consequences within the United States, we're a little bit more uh, on top of it. This is purely anecdotal, but I have a package on its way from China coming to my house. Should (laughs) I be worried? No. So, you know, (laughs) the the transmission for uh, the SARS-CoV COVID um, is, it's primarily airborne. So, or it's not airborne, sorry, it's droplet. So, um, you know, things like- Unless your package sneezes on you, then you yes. should be good. So a cough, so, a sneeze. So things like tuberculosis and measles are airborne. So the particles of that virus can remain on just tiny little dust particles, can stay in the air for long periods of time. 
someone can be, you know, have left a room or left an area a long time ago, you come in, you breathe in those particles, you get infected. Um, for the, these coronaviruses, it's their droplet. And so, you know, those droplets usually fall out of the air. So they, unless someone, you know, sneezes on you or sneezes in your area, or if they sneeze on something, um, depending upon the surface, it can stay active on that surface for hours to maybe uh, a day or two. Nothing that's coming from China, by the time it, it's um, subjected to all the conditions of getting shipped over, it, there, there's no active virus. Yeah. So what we want to do is put the power in the hands of our listeners. Like, what can we take as as humans, preventable measures that aren't burying yourself in a bunker and stockpiling with all the Clorox wipes? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what, what you've heard people say is, you know, it, it's it's tried and true, but it's, you know, it's it's the things that work and that's why it gets said and repeated multiple times. You know, you, you want to wash your hands because again, the, the, the most of the time people are getting infected aren't getting infected because someone sneezes in your face. What happens is they sneeze, you touch something and then you touch, you know, you're that hand, your hand now that has that droplet and has that virus on it. You touch your face, you itch your nose, you, you know, put a toothpick in or you do something like that. And then now all of a sudden that virus is in contact with your oral mucosa. That's how you get the disease. And so by doing good hand washing, um, 20 seconds of lathering and using soap and water or using uh, alcohol based hand sanitizers, you're killing that virus so that, you know, you get less spread. You can, you know, doing things like wearing masks, you know, unless you're sick, it's probably not going to help you. And there's some studies that show that it actually probably hurts you because, you know, if you're sick and you're wearing a mask, obviously you're keeping those droplets from being spread. So you're kind of helping, you're not helping yourself, but you're helping your, your general um, people in your general facility. If you're not sick and you have a mask on, what happens is that mask is irritating your nose, it's bugging your ears, it's itchy on your face. So it's bothering you. You take your hand, you go up and you itch under your mask because it's bugging you. Well, great. Now you've just had your hand, which probably touched something, touching your face, and now you're probably contaminating yourself more often than if you've never had that mask on in the first place. Yeah, that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but yeah, I've been seeing a lot of people rocking the uh, the face mask everywhere. What percentage of people do you think actually wash for twenty seconds? Very few. <laughs> I, I mean, you I know, mean, I, honestly, I probably don't wash. I've been for 20 singing uh, "Set Fire to the Rain" by Adele while I wash my hands, yeah. and that the, passes some time. A- a- ABCs. There's all these different songs. I mean, we do we do what's called hand hygiene audits in the hospital, where they'll have people that are you know, essentially secret shoppers or undercover that will be watching people as they wash their hands and stuff like that to see, you know, for us, before you go into a patient room, as you come out of a patient room, you have to either wash or hand gel um, to, to make sure you're not transmitting stuff. My, my daughter would be great at that. She tells <laughs> a lot. <laughs> undercover hand wash. She likes agents. to tell on people, man. <laughs> and, and even with that, you I mean, your goal, you mean, you would think hospitals, these are healthcare professionals. Everyone knows this. Your goal should be a hundred percent. I mean, you try to get goals of 70 to 80% and there's lots of times where you don't, you don't meet those goals and stuff. So it's just, you know, people get busy people, you know, and again, it's something simple. You come out of, you know, a a hospital room, you come out of someplace and, you know, you, you touch your pen and then you go wash your hands. Well, great. Now your pen's contaminated. So if you, you know, is there certain types of soap that work better is like all soap work are equal here? Yeah, it's you, you don't need antibacterial soap. Um, and that's, you know, it's probably one of the things that has caused more, more harm than good in the last, 10, 20 years or so that we've had that, you know, we, we thought, oh gosh, if we, if we put these chemicals or we put these substances in, in soap that, you know, kind of go beyond just the cleaning mechanism of the soap, but they actually have some kind of um, bacterial static or they kind of keep bacteria from growing, that that's got to be better. Well, what happens is then you, you know, 
as you walk around the world, as you, as you kind of, you know, just enjoy your life, you know, on your surface, on every surface, there's just a range of bacteria and viruses. And some of them are good, some of them are bad, but they kind of coexist. And when you have things like antibacterial soaps, when you take a lot of um, antibiotics for low-grade infections, or you take antibiotics for viruses when they don't help, what happens is a lot of times you kill off all those good bacteria or kind of the, the weak bacteria. And so all you're left with are bacteria that are highly resistant, bacteria that are more likely to be pathogenic and stuff like that. And so they've actually done studies where people that use antibacterial soaps are more likely to have problems than, than people that just use regular soaps. So washing your hands and then what else? So washing your hands using uh, hand sanitizer. I, I, I've seen you know reports of, of people trying to make their own hand sanitizer, um, sometimes using a particular brand of vodka. Um, Whoa. Yeah, uh, they're... I, I give it to the to the the people that that made that vodka because they actually came out and said, "Hey, listen, don't do this." Um, <laughs> I, I would have thought they would have said, "Hey, yeah, buy some more vodka, make uh-huh. some hand sanitizer." But you know, it, need, it needs to be a certain percentage of alcohol to actually be effective, and so um, uh, just just trying to make your own um, when you're I having a hard time finding taking it. Some vodka baths to sanitize. <laughs> yes. So vodka baths out. Dang it. There goes your weekend. Yeah, right. <laughs> but hand sanitizer, washing your hands. Again, if you're not feeling well, um, you know, staying at home. And that gets to be the hard part is, you know, you know, you see how effective we think that, um, you know, some of these things have been in, you know, um, in China. You know, China is a very authoritarian regime and stuff like that. So they have a lot of control over their population. Um, you know, they've shown pictures of satellite images of, of um like electricity use and pollution the week before, um, you know, the virus kind of took over and then the week after, and I mean, the country just basically shut down and stuff. That's never going to happen in the United States because even if you try to quarantine people, there's a large number of people that don't have adequate sick time. So, you you know, they're not going to be able to say, okay, I'll just stay home for two weeks and not get paid. And sure, that'll be great because they won't be able to provide for their family and stuff. And so, you know, it's one of the problems that we have in this country about people going to work sick or, you know, presenting their kids to school sick because they're just not able to, to pay for health care, pay for child care, pay for those things to, to try to think of, you know, you're trying to think of the common good. Boy, I don't want to hurt my neighbor by sending my kid to school or I don't want to hurt my neighbor by going into work sick. You're thinking of yourself, listen, I got to pay the bills and I can't, I can't pass up a paycheck by staying home for 14 days quarantining myself. My mom was a teacher and she got into a couple of altercations with our school nurse of sending me to school sick. Like I try to pull it like, oh, I don't feel good. My mom was still sending me to school. Yeah. The nurse had to call her, my mom and like, you cannot send him to school if he's sick. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes to show you even a teacher can kind of make that mistake. I'll tell you when I started teaching the first year I got sick probably four times since then it's like once i once i taught for longer like you just kind of build up immunity like yeah. bring it i i've had it all anything you guys can bring to me i've that's had a, it that's a word i want to want to speak about your immune system what can we do about it are we like as crossfitters in the gym is our immune system stronger than the average human or not yeah absolutely you know and one of the things when you know when they look at you know this virus in particular but when you look at a lot of different kind of you know different infectious diseases it has a tendency to attack people that have lower immune systems and so you know for just regular influenza that can be the very young and the very old the interesting thing about the the SARS-CoV virus is it seems like it doesn't affect young people quite as much so the initial data out of China and Italy and South Korea I don't think there's been any deaths in anyone less than 10 years of age which you know usually you kind of look at the two spectrums really very young patients and very old patients what would cause uh, that just to inter- interrupt you there why would why would young kids not be as yeah i think that's something it's, it's one of the things we don't know and so it's probably you know there may just be it, it may just be that it's um um affecting people that have a more 
um, robust immune system. So it seems like a lot of the people that are, you know, so, you know, about 85% of the people that get this, get a mild cold, never need any kind of hospitalization. They probably don't even need to go see a doctor and stuff like that. So that's probably why we worry about some of these numbers because, you know, in, in a lot of places, there are people that have this infection, never get tested because, yeah, they have a cold, but it's, they're not really sick. So why bother to go anywhere? Um, so, you know, you think 85% of people kind of have that mild disease, 10% of people kind of have enough that they require some kind of care and, and to be seen. And then 5% are very severe so they end up in ICUs um, on supplemental oxygen respirators and things like that and it, and it seems that that 5% it's it's not that they're um, getting super sick necessarily from the virus or pneumonia but they're getting what's called this kind of um, cytokine cascade. So when you get when you get an infection or when you get exposed to something, obviously your immune system revs up, and so there's different things in your immune system that says, "Hey, send infection fighting cells to this area. Make more of this hormone to help um, you know keep my blood pressure up." And you know, so your body just kind of goes through this kind of systemic inflammatory response. But if it kind of gets off kilter, you have this just wild response, and your body all of a sudden just kind of starts shutting down. And so it seems like um, most of the people that are you know, be having fatalities either have some kind of, you know, bad comorbidity. So they have hypertension, bad uh, chronic lung disease or COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, so they have something that kind of sets them up for it, or they kind of have this haywire um, systemic inflammatory response. So, you know, one of the initial thoughts about why maybe um, younger children aren't getting this is their immune system is still developing. It's not quite as, as um, robust as it is when you're older. And so a lot of times that hurts you because your immune system isn't as, as robust, but in this case, it may actually help you because you don't get that over response that then causes your body to kind of go into shutdown. So if your body has a whole bunch of fires going on, it, it kind of alarms itself and shuts down. Yeah, absolutely. And so if it's fighting one thing and then having to fight a third thing and a second, like, you know, it just, it gets ran out. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you're, if you have a heart disease and so when your heart gets stressed, you just don't have that reserve to be able to pump more blood. And you, you know, if you have lung disease from, you know, smoking or, or or um, things like that, and you just don't have that reserve to be able to handle a little bit of fluid in your lungs, those are the people that are that are going on to have severe disease and, and ended up dying. Well, and the same thing would hold true for just the basic flu for, for a bunch of diseases. Like that's that's a pretty common Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And and that's and it's why it's a little bit different. You know, I've heard some people talk about um, you know, the kind of the last big pandemic at least you know we've, we've had all these little pandemics SARS Mars um, um, swine flu. flu avian flu all these other kind of things that kind of popped up but didn't really cause a whole lot the last kind of really big global pandemic that wiped out you know a lot of people was the 1918 Spanish Spanish flu, flu. And yeah, so I heard that. you know and that you know we think you know 500 million people got infected 50 million people died you know so that I mean that took out lot of people, obviously. But one of the interesting things about that is it took out people in the mid range. So it took out people in their thirties that were otherwise healthy and stuff wow. like that. So it wasn't like it was just, yeah, it's picking off kids or it's taking, you know, people that are older and have comorbidities. There were people that were completely healthy that got sick that just, you know, didn't recover and stuff. And so, um, we don't see that in this case. Again, you know, a vast majority, 90% of the deaths have occurred in people that are 60 and older and stuff. So it's, it's um, you know, this this is really taking people that are already a little bit fragile um, and pushing them over the edge. So been seeing a lot of things with like different numbers and different statistics. And the one that keeps coming to the top of mind is like the infection rate. So if I'm sick, how many people can I get sick within that? 
And they say if that number is like more than like 1.5, it's considered dangerous. And I think we're at like 1.3 or 1.7. Like it's a little bit higher than it you than it than it should be, but like not at an alarming rate. They said measles was like five or like oh, something. Measles is high. Measles is 12 to 18. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So this is that this is that infectivity rate or that reproductive number. So um, some people call it R not or R zero. Mm. And so yeah. So that's you know for a virus to kind of have or any kind of infection to have. Um, the sustainability to kind of keep going. That means that you, that, that reproductive number that are not is basically how many people each person with the disease infects. And so if that number is not at least greater than one, then it's going to die off because, you know, things like that's why, you know, you know, even really bad infections and stuff like that, you know, the, um, you know, we had the Ebola scare a couple of years ago and stuff like that. Well, the, the problem with Ebola is when you get it, you get super sick and 50% of the people die. Well, if 50% of the people that have the infection die, you don't have a whole lot of time to spread it to other people and stuff. So, um, uh, for, for this, yeah. So the, the R not or that reproductive number for measles can be, you know, between 12 and 18. So each person that gets it infects 12 more people. So that's why, you know, that's people, crazy. people worry about measles spread and stuff like that. The traditional flu has an R not of somewhere about, you know, 1.3, 1.5 or so. So that's why kind of, you know, you see it, it'll spread through a community for some period of time. And then usually as the, as the uh, weather gets a little bit warmer, it kind of, kind of, um, pans down a little bit. Again, we don't know a lot because, you know, if, if you look at, you know, cases in the United States, cases in Italy, uh, Japan, places like that, where we kind of think of our, our more industrialized, because we've had limited availability to test people, you only test people that are super sick. So you don't test a bunch of people that maybe had mild diseases or mild symptoms. So you don't kind of know some of that uh, denominator number and stuff. But, um, so, so initially they kind of thought that R not number was maybe, you know, between two and three or four and stuff. And now, yeah, every time they kind of get more information, that number kind of comes down and comes down and comes down. And so, um, there's, there's less of a a concern that there's the internet and like news sources have taken like that Harvard professor from science versus that we'll reference in this episode. We'll leave a link for that. But they took off with it. Like every news station was like yes. 40% or 60%, 40 to 60% will get the virus. And, yeah. and everyone's like, ah, but it all matters the data that he was using. So that R not number, like when he initially made that, it's now decreased. Yeah. I think he, yeah, he used an R not number, I think of 2.2 and stuff. And so, which, which it was at the time relatively conservative and stuff. But again, now as we've, as we've gotten more information, that number has gone down a little bit. Yeah. And his prediction was, you know, just kind of based upon some of those numbers, some of the initial reporting out of the first 80,000 cases out of China, was the yeah his his prediction was that within the first year forty to seventy percent of adults um, in the world would get this disease. Now again, forty to seventy percent, even if forty percent of, of patients get the get the disease, we still only have a fatality rate that's you know maybe two percent, three percent. Again, some of that we don't know because we don't know about the people that are getting infected that just aren't having mild symptoms and stuff like that. So uh, it's still a, a you know a small number, but. Because no one's ever been exposed to this, no one has any immunity. Mm. We don't have any vaccines yet. It's going to take at least a year. Or yeah, so that's to get just there. a year to make a vaccine, which I think is wild. But again, you know, th- think about it. I mean, we have tested and everything. We, we, to, we, you know, we have we have diseases still that you know RSV is one that kills you know children and babies and stuff like that. 
we kind of have a vaccine for that, but it's not a great vaccine. It's one that you have to give every month and stuff like that. So um, I get the fact that you can, you know, have a vaccine that they're already doing trials on three months after they discovered the virus. That That's pretty amazing, actually. Well, then you got to get people who are willing to take the vaccine. <laughs> yes. or, that's a whole know, other yeah. podcast. Or they have to come out with an essential oil that, that kills <laughs> right. it. Right. Is yeah. there essential oil that kills coronavirus? I've been wondering. There are essential. <laughs> so... Are you a believer or uh, okay. my <laughs> wife has no, no. swallowed the voodoo and That's, I drink hey, whatever. Some of it works for me, dude. Okay. Here's, CBD, here's kind of, here's kind of what I think. I think that there are a lot of things out there that are great, um, um, adjuncts to modern medicine and stuff. So, you know, whether that be, um, essential oils, whether that be, um, you know, things like acupuncture, whether or not that be, you know, there's a whole bunch of different stuff. And so I, I don't think those are things that ever replace traditional medicine, but I think there are things that may add to it. And some of that may be that some of those herbal supplements, some of those oils actually have products and, and characteristics that do um, uh, promote healing. And some of it may just be that you get that kind of, you know, depending upon who you talk to, the placebo effect. And so, you know, when you are in a state of mind where you take something, you know, it's, I mean, you know, they do this with sugar pills. So if they do it with sugar pills, surely they can do it with, you know, things that have some essential oils and stuff like that. But if you, if you take something and you're in your mind, you believe this is going to help me feel better. This is going to, um, you know, improve my recovery. You put yourself kind of, you know, again, in that state of mind where your body's probably better to recover. And, you know, what, you know, people talk about poly, polyvagal theory and sympathetic versus parasympathetic kind of flows and stuff like that. But, I, you know, I, I'll tell you, I do essential oils. I do every time I get sick, I go buy a bunch of vitamin C and take it. Do I know for sure that helps? I think it helps me. Does and it? That's but, all that but maybe it helps my mind and it puts my mind in the state that it says, hey, listen, you are, I mean, they've done these things with kind of guided imagery where they, they've taken people that had um, cancers and stuff like that. And they've, you know, subjected some people to an idea where they, they have them go through this guided imagery of seeing their body cells attacking the cancer and stuff like that versus people that just get kind of general meditation and people that have this guided imagery do better because they're wow. setting them, they're putting themselves in a mindset that allows themselves to heal. Even on Science Versus, they did a thing about placebo effect and they had two knee surgeries. They had one group where they did the procedure, connected whatever they needed to do, and then another group where they just cut the knee open, stood there for two minutes, and then sewed it back up. And the person that didn't have the operation said their knee felt great. That's funny. If you tell yeah, I mean, the mind is They powerful. thought they had surgery because yes, they, they had anesthesia, did, yeah. they had a scar, so they thought they had surgery, and so they felt like they did better. But. They paid the bill, I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, now if... If Jordan Leonard was the president of the United States right now, which I would vote for you, actually. I mean, from what we've got to choose from, you look like a strong candidate, brother. I'm looking for something to do. Okay. <laughs> if you were president of the United States, one of the things we were talking about a little bit earlier is, like, when stuff comes out, it's always a bigger deal. And then as data comes through, things kind of start to settle in. And it doesn't, a lot of times, it doesn't end up being as big of a deal. Right. If you were the head of the United States... Would you err on the side of, hey, let's let's get all the information out and let the blow up happen? Or would you, like, how would you handle that? That's yeah, just- I think it's tough because I think you have to, you have to, um, you know, and it's the same way as a parent. How, how do you handle your kids and stuff like that where you, you want to get them prepared for something, but you don't want to, you know, maybe overreact and stuff. And I, and I think you have to kind of, you don't want to do things that are causing panic. You don't want to do things that are, you know, 
causing people to, you know, clear out shelves at supermarkets and stuff like that when there really isn't a reason to do that. And so I, I, I think, you know, giving people common sense things to people want to do something. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, as much as you, you know, may want to say, well, you should just tell people to sit back and relax. They're not going to do that. People want to get prepared. And I think there's reasonable things that they can do to, to try to be prepared. Um, but, but I think, you know, cautioning them and again, and people, people, you know, I, the, I think the surgeon general came out and told people stop buying masks and stuff like that, because, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, the, the Roberts here and, you know, I, I know lots of clinics and hospitals that, you know, they buy supplies for a certain amount of time, you know, they don't stock up. And so if, if they run out of masks at the end of March and they go to order them and there's no masks, now you have healthcare providers and clinics who are exposed to people that have real illnesses that can't wear personal protective equipment because there just isn't any right. because some guy down the street has, you know, ordered 5,000 max and have him has them in his basement and stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think you, you, you want to, you want to project leadership. You want to project the, like that, you know, uh, what you're talking about and that you're keeping people safe, but you don't want to get people into a frenzy and stuff. And so I think, you know, t- telling people to, you know, I, people right now they've, they've limited travel to places like, you know, China and Italy and South Korea and stuff like that. Right. I don't, I'm not sure they've limited, uh, they've told people not to go to Italy, but they haven't closed, um, or quarantine people. Even and no that, one's going to Iran anyway. So <laughs> yeah, no, Iran, exactly. But you know, they haven't really said anything about cruise ships, but yet, I mean, there's been several cases of just, you know, rampant infections on cruise ships and stuff like that. So, you know, if someone asked me today, would you go on a cruise ship? I'd say, Probably not. Again, there's there's no, and maybe that's because I've been on a few cruises and didn't enjoy them that much. But you know, there's there's no place I'm going to go on a cruise for that's worth that. Even though there's the chances are you're going to get that. It has less to do with the fact that I'm going to get an infection and die than I may get on a cruise ship and be stuck on it for three weeks because right. they're, they're, you they're, you're gonna you're gonna pull up to the dock and they're gonna be like. Nope. Would you fly from Phoenix to Washington D.C.? Absolutely. No, you wouldn't have a problem. Yeah, I, I domestic no issue. I, I wouldn't have a problem with you know any kind of domestic flights. And you know, I, I heard some people you know um, uh, on on CNN they were talking to different experts and stuff like that. And you know, and they basically said, listen, if you're not infected, don't wear a mask. It doesn't do any good. Try to you know that that seat table is probably one of the most infected places in the in the um, plane. So try not to use it. Try not to be touching a bunch of stuff because then you're going to be touching your face. But it was it was before this too. So it's before it that always too. was absolutely. I'm but, so you know, guilty of that I've never thought of but, that in my life. You know, but these are these are times where you know if you're sitting next to someone because I think the concern is you know hopefully that you're not going to travel if you're sick. Um, and you know that, that's one of the things that they should say is they should you know really try to enforce that. But if you're sitting next to someone that's coughing, you know that you ask the flight attendant, hey can this person get a mask? Cause I don't really want to be sitting next to them if they're not being protected. And in this day and age, probably most people would be like, yeah, you know, I, if, if I had something that I knew wasn't, you know, infectious, but somehow had a cough and someone asked me, Hey, you know, gosh, I'm really anxious about this. Would you mind wearing a mask? I wouldn't be offended. I'd be like, okay, whatever. I don't, don't it's strike gonna, me as the offended type. It's not going to help, but sure you know, non offended types in this world. But. So, at the end of this uh, Science Versus episode that talks about Corona, they talked about different treatments and different medicines that they're kind of experimenting with and uh, going into and trying and having some success with. Let's talk about those a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, there, there aren't, because it's a virus, you can't take antibiotics. So, there are, you know, there aren't really truly a lot of good antiviral medications now, um, you know, with, with the whole um, AIDS, HIV epidemic. Um, we, you know, we have developed a lot more antiviral medications and they've looked at some of those in terms of, um, being, uh, there for treatment. There's also a new medication 
that they've developed within the last couple of years, which was really developed to fight Ebola. Um, but they've done some research on that, and that seems to be questionably effective and stuff. So there's, there's a f- again, a few trials of those, and people are looking at that. I, again, what gets to be hard is, you know, they're expensive medications. These are medications that have side effects. And so if, you know, there's a 97% chance that you're never going to get so sick that you need to get intubated, would you want to be exposed to something that where the harm may be more than the benefit of it? Um, but for people that do get very sick, for people that are in intensive care units, um, you know, these are possibilities. Um, we used to, before we had some of our vaccines for some of our viruses and, and uh, influenza and stuff like that, what they've done in the past is they take serum from people that have been exposed and recovered and they basically you know, spin off all the cells. And so you take, you, you're left with that kind of that clear part of your blood, that serum, and that contains all the antibodies. Well, it contains antibodies to everything. So it contains antibodies to colds, flus, but you know, it, it also, you, you purposely pick out people that have exposed to this virus and recovered. And so with the thought that they kind of have these pooled antibodies in their blood. And so you give this kind of intravenous immunoglobulins or IVIG um, to be able to kind of protect them. It's a blood product, so people worry about that. It's kind of nonspecific. You have to. My granddad was part of that for the Hantavirus. Yeah. Which uh, he's one of the first known Bless cases you. of that. Yeah. Thank you. He's one of the first known <laughs> cases of that, and they, they used him to kind of help develop a. Deve- not a vaccine. What, what do you it's call a, it? It's immunoglobulin, so IVIG and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, I mean, we, we use it for, you know, hepatitis and there's other different viruses where they basically just, you know, they, they instead of instead of giving you, you know, most vaccines are you give someone a, a, a kind of a um, deconstructed or dead portion of the virus, your body then makes an antibody to it and you have those antibodies for prolonged periods of time. Um, for this IVIG, essentially you're just giving someone someone else's antibodies. And so, you know, it, it helps you kind of over that initial phase, you don't have a, a reaction to it because you're not your body's not making an inflammatory response, but it's not very specific. It's not very long term. We were on an upward trajectory of really smart conversation. I'm going to bring it back downhill. Here we go. <laughs> we, one thing they mentioned on this podcast was fecal transplants, of that being an effective way to kind of fight this virus. Every, both of you guys are like rolling your eyes at me now. But I don't know it, what you're talking what, what is a fecal transplant, Riley? I don't. Well, you, I'm not a doctor. Can you elaborate? Jordan, what is a fecal transplant? Yeah, so, I want to so, hear your version. So, fecal transplants in general are kind of a, a relatively new theory. Uh, or a new um, treatment where essentially it's, you know, it's kind of what it sounds like. So, you know, for, (laughs) for, you know, um, blood transfusion or blood, um, you know, you're taking blood from someone else and giving it to another person for bone marrow transplant. You're taking bone marrow from someone and replacing um, someone's defective bone marrow. And, and, And for fecal transplants, essentially what they're doing is they're identifying patients that have some disease and that can be, um, types of different types of inflammatory bowel disease. It can be different infectious diseases where people have been exposed to a lot of antibiotics. And so they then have a lot of bad bacteria in their gut. So that's kind of that C difficile, Clostridium difficile. Um, but, uh, and so then you, you, your, your body just has an overabundance of these bad bacteria and you just can't clear it out. And so then what happens is you, you essentially give someone medications <laughs> where they, evacuate their bowels for the most part and then you collect um, feces or stool from someone else that you've already identified you've already treated you've already you've already kind of mapped out the different bacteria that they have in their gut and determined that they're um, going to be beneficial and you take that stool you process it in a way that's safer and then you do you think that's an effective way to treat this there has been some um, evidence that there there is 
there may be fecal transmission of this virus. And so people that have the virus, if you look at their stools, you can collect um, parts of the virus. Now, part of the part of the um, the the tricky part about testing for this virus is, you know, one of the ways that they test for it is um, something called PCR, polymerase chain reaction. And essentially what that does is it, it just looks for different parts of the virus. And so it doesn't necessarily mean the virus is still alive. So um, if that virus is dead and you're just shedding it as a non-active form in your stool, the PCR test would still be positive. And so, but, but we don't know yet whether or not you can actually get transmission from fecal oral routes and stuff like that. So different things like hepatitis A, you know, every once in a while, you know, you'll see different, um, you know, strawberries or raspberries or lettuce get recalled because of hepatitis A and that, that's all fecal oral transmission. Um, we don't know yet whether or, not, whether or not that happens, but if so, that would be, again, problematic because people could be using restrooms, not washing their hands, touching different things, and now all of a sudden all those surfaces are contaminated um, and it doesn't take someone that has respiratory symptoms and stuff. But, but you know, if you had fecal oral transmission, then it's something that, again, potentially could, um, could mitigate that. But again, I think it's, it's, it's such an underused therapy, a relatively new therapy, even for diseases that have been around for a long time that I doubt, I doubt it's going to find its way into the treatment for this disease, at least in the, in the near term. I would have loved to have been in the room when the first guy thought of that. He's like, Hey, listen, doc, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take his poop and put it in her body. <laughs> Wait, there, what? <laughs> there are people that do it black market wise. And so wow. I, 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 I watched a the dark web gets real dark. I yeah. think it was like vice news or something like that on HBO. Or I can't remember if that was the place or it was some other kind of one of these like, kind of news magazine things. And it was, it was some person that, you know, had some illness that they kind of wanted to treat and couldn't get it approved because it, you know, hadn't been tested yet and basically went and got stool from someone that they knew and nice. cleaned themselves out and, Took a turkey baster and stuck it up their butt and <laughs> got super sick. We were doing sick. so good super on this sick. podcast, man. Wow, that's so awful. Where does Jordan Leonard get his intel from? Like all of your information, where can our listeners go and get reliable, informative information? WebMD yeah. and Trump tweets. That's yes. the two places <laughs> yeah. to go. That's where I go. <laughs> that, that blue check mark next to uh, POTUS. But no, um, <laughs> the place that I like is there's a. Um, there's a uh, site um, through Johns Hopkins University um, called the Center for Health Excellence. Let me see here. Center for Health Security um, that that has a lot of information. They actually have a, a bulletin that they put out daily that has updated statistics, kind of updated stories and stuff like that. And it's it's not only from the United States, but it's globally. So it's kind of got you know it's got the cliff notes of kind of everything that's happened in the last 24 hours. Um, I think that's good. The interesting thing about about this place is so this John Hopkins Center uh, every year they kind of do a um, you know just like militaries run these kind of exercises where they prepare for things. Um, Johns Hopkins had a an event I think in October of 2018 where they did this kind of pandemic drill, and their pandemic drill was a coronavirus that came out of China that was caused a pandemic. And, you know, again, it was purely made up. They, they do it for, you know, public health planning perspectives and blah, uh-huh, blah, blah, all uh-huh, this other stuff. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> but it's, but it's out there. And in their model, it killed 65 million people and stuff like that. So people are like, Holy crap, you know, you guys knew about this. That's that, that was part Inside of the job. It was part of some of the original theories about, Oh, this is a manufactured virus that was made as a weapon in China and stuff like that. But yeah, it's so, so now when you go to their website, there's a whole page that specifically says, this was not meant to be real. We made all these assumptions. These assumptions aren't true based upon what's happening now. But don't funny. you, I mean, I feel better thinking 
that they've pre- prepared for this uh, in absolutely. some manner. Like, I want a drill. I just, I'm imagining the scene from the office where they're like, this is not a drill. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like, the guys, just, they're all running around the office. Yeah, yeah. that's what I think. But they have, they have a nice map that gives you, you know, where the cases are, where the deaths are, and stuff like that. that I mean, that they update hourly and stuff like that. So it has a lot, of, a lot of good information. Now, how much are the things that Johns Hopkins, like that, that organization does, how much of that is government research? How, how much of it is private funded? Yeah, most is of it's it private sector. Most of it's private sector okay. and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the, the, there is a lot of government funding for stuff. But, again, most of that is is military based and and again i think you know one of the concerns that you that you've heard about in the last couple of months is is there was a there was some cuts in funding for um you know in particular cdc and other private institutions that were doing some of this pandemic planning and and disease preparedness stuff like that and so some of that funding was cut um you know earlier and and so part of the concern depending upon which party you may belong to is that oh this has gotten to the point that it got because we didn't have enough people kind of out front um, able they to also identify cut, like NASA. Too. Well, they they, <laughs> they cut everything and yes. stuff, for the, you know, probably, except for the military and building a wall. But uh, probably yeah. still funding that. We talked about washing our hands. We talked about uh, you know not uh, not using microbial stuff. Like, kind of wrap this up for us and like how panicked should we be? I think panic doesn't do anyone any good. You know, whether or not that's for 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 anything. And so I think you should be prepared. You should you should. You know, my, my kids asked me, Dad, what are the chances that we're going to get it? And I, I told them, there's probably a 50-50 chance that someone in our family is going to get it. That, <laughs> They're now, probably like, what? That, and now, we're going to get it, and you're going to have a cold, and, you know, we may not ever test for it and stuff like that, but who cares? And that's, you know, we're we're all healthy. So if we keep keep exercising, keep staying healthy, keep getting lots of vitamin D and sunlight, keep, you know, keep hydrated, all that stuff, you're going you're gonna to put yourself in a spot where even if you are exposed to it, you know, there's a 99% chance that it's going to be nothing. So, um, you know, it's, it's that, that being said, I, I think if, you know, if you have medications that you take on a regular basis, making sure that you have probably a month's worth of that medication, um, because, you know, as the, for now, the only testing for COVID is um, through the government. Starting, I think, this weekend and on Monday, um, there's private labs that will start testing for it. So my guess is that within the next seven to 10 days, you're going to see the number of cases in the United States just Balloon. bloom. So at that, not because a bunch more people are getting sick, but now we're all these people that kind of had these mild symptoms that weren't enough to get tested by the CBC, CDC, they're getting tested by their doctor. They're getting tested by a hospital and stuff like that. So there's going to be all these cases and stuff. So you think it's going to be expensive to test? It's not, I mean, I don't know. It was expensive to test. It was like thousands of dollars per test and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know what it is to these commercial places and stuff like that, but, but that was part of, part of the limiting restrictions and they didn't have enough test kits to be able to do it. But was that a blood test? Um, or like, a, I don't know, to be honest, you would think if it's a respiratory, maybe it wouldn't be, I think it, I think it probably, it's probably a respiratory test and, you know, it's, it's usually it's, they're looking for secretions and stuff like that. So yeah, for things like influenza and stuff like that, it's usually nasal swabs and, and stuff. But yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, if you, because it's as people get sicker and, and as it spreads, you know, the, the concern is, is that, you know, hospital systems are going to get overwhelmed. EDs are going to have a bunch of people coming in to get evaluated and treated. The number of people that, that, you know, are 
older and sicker that then may get the disease that may require hospitalization, hospitalization is going to go up. And so it's going to put a strain on our resources. And so you don't want to be um, not having medications that you need for your blood sugar, not medications that you need for your hypertension or your heart disease and stuff like that. So making sure that you have some, some backup supply in those medications, if there's medications that you rely on to stay healthy. Again, as far as far as stocking up on you know toilet paper, or water, or supplies, you know, unless you unless you're going to self quarantine yourself and you want to be able to have two weeks worth of supplies that you don't have to go outside your home, you know, even if even if you know forty percent of the population is affected, um, so that's you know half the population and of that half the population that's infected. 1% has fatality, it's not going to shut down our infrastructure. So it's not like, you know, our, the water in your house is going to stop flowing or it's not like the electricity is going to go out and things like that. So the, the preparedness that you do for places like California with earthquakes and the South with tornadoes, this isn't the same kind of thing because it's not going to wipe out utilities. Um, but you want to be able to have some things so that if, if you come down with uh, some of these symptoms and you want to protect yourself and others and you say, okay, I'm going to stay home for a couple of days to be able to to make sure this isn't getting worse, then then you want to be able to have some supplies to be able to to get through that time period. Now, our kids go to the same school. If you got a message after spring break that says, hey, we, we had an identified single case of coronavirus, that kid is now quarantined, what would you do with your girls? Would you not send them to school or would you send them to school? I would still send them to school. My kids, so at, 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 at our kids' school, they sent, out a, they sent out an email that basically asked people to voluntarily say what they're doing over spring break so that if you go to a place that has a outbreak that they could potentially ask you to not come back to school. A lot school of potential travel during this time. For, for some period of time. Now, my kids then are hoping that, because we're, we're going to go to Mexico for, for spring break, my kids are hoping that there's an outbreak in Mexico so that we can be <laughs> stuck across the border for two weeks and stuff. But, the biggest uh, stat from this whole thing is that Corona beer sales have gone oh, down like 40%. That's, that's so You funny. think everyone at their headquarters is like, what do we do? We can't yeah. change our name. Yeah. <laughs> People are not that, buying. That just shows how crazy people can yes. get, though, right? Yes. And, and again, it'll all turn. There is no such thing as bad publicity. So you, you know, as, as much they're as they're going to capitalize on this eventually, they, they already are. I saw that they had some. They they were trying to. They had some campaign. I can't remember how much it was. A hundred million dollar campaign where they they were like trying to rename the coronavirus the Bud Light virus and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, they get, that's funny. They're just playing it off and stuff. But yeah, the, it, they can. It's free advertising. We're, for them. we're very simple, yes, simple yeah. beings sometimes. But thank you, Jordan, for coming on here, and hopefully this can uh, calm the masses and. and let people know where they can get some good information. We yeah. appreciate you being on. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, the other thing that I would just tell people is, you know, I've, I've seen different people uh, ask this on, on different town forums and stuff like that that's on the news. You, you know, certainly if you have questions and if you have concerns, you know, most people have, um, you know, health care providers, um, primary health care providers and stuff like that, you know, use them, use them sparingly and stuff. So, you know, they, they can't take care of the people that really need help if they're getting a hundred phone calls a day about, should I take my kids on vacation? Should I, you know, lock my kids down? Should I do all these other things? So it's, you know, if, if it's, you know, if it's a, a serious question or it's a serious concern, obviously that's why, that's why, you know, healthcare providers go into this is to be able to help people, but you don't want to overwhelm people. Jordan's so that not, been blown not, up. That's and, <laughs> yeah, mine, Jordan's uh, number is. Dude, I've yeah, texted so Jordan and I had a yeah. sty on my eye. Poor guy. I feel so bad. Yeah, and, and it's fine. I mean, that's, you know, most people that go into medicine want to help people. They want to be able to provide resources, but you don't want, uh, you know, there, there's people, you know, I, I'm on several different doc forums on Facebook and 
and, and different other platforms and stuff like that. I mean, and there's, there's horror stories about people like up in Washington state where, you know, just ERs are just like overloaded because, you know, they've had several deaths and most of those deaths were in a nursing home and stuff like that. But, but so now it's caused kind of a, you know, just a, a panic a little bit up there and people are rushing to EDs and everyone wants to get tested and stuff like that. And so, you know, it, it just slows down, you know, care for everyone, uh, including those that have other diseases that aren't even related to this because there's just so, such a strain on the healthcare system. And that's, that's what really what people are worried about in terms of this disease. Thank you, Jordan, for coming on. We really appreciate all the good intel you gave us, and and hopefully this calms the masses and kind of can get people on the right track when it comes to this coronavirus. Thank you so much. Absolutely, yeah, and we'll and we'll include some links to that John Hopkins site too and stuff like that, so that people can uh, have good places to to get information. And maybe when this is all done, we'll crack a Corona together. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. <laughs>